Hello and welcome to episode two of the Dank Christian Memes podcast or, or Reddit talk. We're, we're not sure what we're calling it. We're calling it a few things right now. But this is what we got going on. Uh, there is a, a detail in the, in the comments. We're going to be talking with Olive of Olive Tiger. This is the way our show is going to go. Just so you guys know from the start, we're going to be starting out interviewing our guest, who is Olive slash Alice here for us. Uh, we're going to talk about her experience in uh, music, with faith, and, and with life. And then we are going to move towards uh, question-answer sessions and giving folks an opportunity to share a bit about their faith experience, uh, whether or not you know music plays into your spirituality or religious practice or not. So um, why don't we start with uh, introductions? First of all, can you guys on stage hear me? Void Boy, how do I sound? You sound perfect. Hear your line clear. See, now I can never trust you. That's that's the way too kind of response. But but thank you anyway. I think you sound great too. Okay. Well, now now it feels a little more genuine. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm just going to start and give myself a little introduction, and then you guys can give introductions. Um, my name is Brocklin. I am the moderator and digital minister for Dank Christian Memes. For those who don't know, Dang Christian Memes is a place for all kinds of Christians and all kinds of non-Christians to enjoy memes and conversation, uh, whether it's, it's silly or, or more serious or, or evocative. So we have been doing podcasts here as a way to, um, you know, do a little something more with our community and see if we can bring some, some folks in with more diverse experiences around faith and just life experience. So uh, I'm going to start. Uh, Void Boy, you want to give yourself a quick intro, and then we'll we'll move on to our guest of honor. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, some of you might know me. Uh, I'm Void Boy. I've been on these uh, at least one shot before. Uh, I am mainly uh, what I do. I just kind of like draw for a living, or at least I try to. Um, I try to be very. Uh, active member of this little community mostly on the reddit talk side and it's been very fun um and i'm very like open-minded person uh in terms about faith specifically um i've kind of been like you know floating around a bit but i really enjoy uh engaging in spiritual practices and talking about people's uh different spiritual experiences and it's something really fun and i'm happy to be here well, and thank you for being here. And, and we hope that at Dang Christian Memes that we're a spot where, you know, folks can feel comfortable, whether they feel like they're solidly in a faith tradition or they're moving between faith traditions or maybe away from faith altogether, um, that, that those experiences are valid and we like hearing about them and talking about them. Um, we're we're going to get into, you know, a lot of discussions here, but Olive slash Alice, first of all, what what should I call you? You can call me Olive. I'm sorry, it's a little confusing that my my name here is Allison Lanes, but um, I, yeah, I, I have been a Reddit lurker for a very long time, and uh, there's just enough time between each of my logins that I have ended up with many nicknames. So I had to go through several screen names to find one that I could remember the password for. So I was trying to find one that had Olive in it, but was unsuccessful. So here we are. All right. As a, as a starting aside, in your best guess. How many Reddit accounts would you say you have made over the years, whether or not you can still log into them? Uh, I would guess approximately eight. Wow. Now, it, you haven't been banned from anything, so it's not 
it's not ban avoidance or anything like that. But no, um, it's just one hundred percent cannot remember passwords, and then whatever email I had set up with the previous one, I just can't figure it out. And uh, yeah, I mean, normally I can get around that kind of like basic internet uh, thing, but. You know, I don't know why, but for some reason on Reddit, I've had a hard time. <laughs> so Reddit uh, is a is a strange yeah. place. It is it is a different place. So you know, it's, <laughs> it's not surprising yeah. that you might might think of it or remember it differently. Uh, one last note before we carry on here, I just want to let you guys know we're not going to be adding anyone else on stage unless there's someone I've already talked to. When we get to the Q and A and discussion session, then I'm going to be inviting folks on the stage. We generally run the chat in in two modes. Uh, the first is like chill mode, where after our interview, we'll kind of have a casual back and forth. Um, but sometimes we get just a few too many people talking, or sometimes the subject gets uh, gets a little serious. Uh, so when that happens, we shift into moderator mode. Uh, everyone will mute their mics. We'll focus discussion on one question, and then we'll give everyone a chance to to talk. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, so, Olive, you know, I feel like talking about faith alone is such a big thing, and talking about music is such a complicated thing. How does your story with the two of those things kind of start? Yeah, well, um, I feel like music was always such a big part of my and my family's experience in church in general. Um, I remember when I was really young, we we kind of were bouncing around a couple different churches because, um, I don't know, something happened with one church that I was too young to remember. And then we were on the search for a different church, and we ended up at this very tiny community church, which was mostly just singing. Um, and then after that church ended up closing down because we were too small and we just weren't growing and we couldn't financially sustain ourselves. These uh, we happen. ended. Yes, we ended up at a, uh, when I was in maybe sixth or seventh grade at uh, an evangelical church, which was much larger, had like a full band and um, music was a much more developed part of the worship service in that church. And um, in the meantime, previously, um, when I, when we were going to the very small church, the youth group consisted of basically me, my brother and the pastor's son. <laughs> and so, um, well, I was visiting that's, that's small. Yes. Yes. So I was visiting my friend's youth group. One of my good friends in middle school, she went to a Pentecostal church. And, um, so I was visiting their youth group for, for quite some time. And so when we were shopping for new churches, I was trying to sort of rope my family into going there <laughs> and because uh, I was connected with a lot of people at that church. And uh, so you were we you were a little drawn to Pentecostalism. Well, yeah, I mean, there was just uh, at the time, I think I was really drawn to the aliveness of, of that tradition and just how spirited those services are. And I did convince my family to visit the Pentecostal church for one service. And like 10 minutes into the service, there was like grandma's doing backflips down the aisles. And my parents were like, this is too yeah. much, <laughs> too so much for, those, for them. <laughs> for those who might not know, uh, Pentecostalism is a denomination of Christianity that is is known for its enthusiastic embrace of the Holy Spirit, and and this can take the form of all sorts of uh, songs or or just sort of um, you know physical representations of faith, and and some you know speaking in tongues and and some other things you don't see in a lot of other denominations. So 
uh, yeah, Pentecostalism is a, is a really interesting, really interesting to space, even if it's, you know, not for everyone as, as it seems your parents learned. Yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, they're, they're a little, I mean, I, they're mild in some ways and not in other ways, but the, it was just, um, I think maybe too loud for them maybe, which is also kind of funny because we ended up at another church that had drums for the music. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I think they, there was something about it that, that didn't quite like resonate with them. And so I was not able to convince them to stay there, but, um, and then there was this awkward period when I was trying to integrate into the new church and I was trying to go to both youth groups and I felt like I was abandoning and betraying the Pentecostal youth group. And yeah, some loyals that some churches are really big on, on loyalty and they expect you to renounce your membership in one church before you take part in another one. So that, that could be a little bit of a, a spicy space to be. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was really interesting. Um, I did find over time, though, that I did end up kind of leaning towards the new youth group. Just, uh, I don't know, I can't remember quite why. I think just for like time's sake, because, <laughs> you know, at the time when you're going to church three times a week, you know, how many youth groups can you really sustain? So, uh, but yeah, I was... all the youth groups. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, I was extremely devout. I, I didn't even start questioning until I got to college. And um, and I, so when I arrived, I, I actually chose a state school over going to a um, a Christian college, like specifically because there were going to be more people to convert at the uh, oh wow at the state but school. I had never considered that as a, and I think that's that's kind of bold. I've I've heard and, and seen in comments on the sub that a lot of people will say, you know, don't don't go to those public schools, don't go to those state schools. You got to go to like a bona fide christian you know to to whatever denomination you come from usually um but you actually is like no i'm, I'm going to take on the state school and, and i'm going to make believers of everyone that's yeah that's and, and that's i truly next level. That that that's awesome. what was going to happen <laughs> i mean i just i just want everybody to understand that like it, it was such a um i mean after i arrived there and started going through my process of deconstruction it was very world shaking for me and um in brooklyn I've, I've known you through that time and you were actually like one of the first people i met that really started to broaden my perspectives about what a and Christian you can dish on be. me if you, if you want to dish on me that, that's fine that's fair i signed up for this though so. <laughs> well i want everybody to know that when i met brooklyn at our college i literally did not believe that he was a christian because he swore I was like, Christians don't swear. I don't know what planet this guy's from, but he and thinks I he's said, a Christian. Yes, they fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> now, since my daughter's been born and I do work at a school, I have tried to do much better with my swearing. But when I'm around my closest right, right. friends, that's that's me when I'm relaxed. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I went to school as a, a music major, and uh, I I was. Uh, I heard about music therapy after my senior year of high school. So the the year after I graduated high school and before I started going to college was was really um, a very integral moment in in my life because that I mean that was when I, I learned about music therapy. I was already registered to go for music education, but like honestly, you know, being in front of a classroom full of screaming children every day was not exactly what I you know once I kind of clicked that like that's the actual job like yes you are teaching music but really it's classroom management i was like I well and the college that. that we attended 
um, was pretty keen to usher people into the education track um, yeah, because it yeah. was one of the biggest things that the university in question sold. Uh, as we get closer to the subject, we'll we'll go into music therapy uh, and right. what that actually is. Um, but yeah, I definitely can imagine at our college there being a gravitational pull towards education, which I think I was like, oh, maybe I'll teach history. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to teach at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. So, so I ended up, um, once I learned about music therapy, I was like, that is a perfect thing. That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, but the college didn't have a major for that. So I ended up deciding to just kind of steam ahead and, and do an undergrad with a general music degree in psychology and French concentrations, and then go um, and do what they call an equivalency degree in music therapy, where if you have some sort of related undergraduate degree in music therapy, you can study uh, music therapy on a graduate level while filling in whatever holes you've come to the graduate school with. So since I had um, music, like general music knowledge and psychology knowledge, I was filling in um, a lot of like how to run groups, like that that kind of thing um, yeah, for, yeah. for my equivalency work. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, but it was, um, there was a really... Um, that summer that I mentioned between senior year and freshman, uh, my, my older brother had gone off to college the year ahead of me and like really just crashed and burned because like we were, you know, we were all kind of coming out of this like somewhat sheltered environment, which I think overall I'm very grateful for. Like I'm very grateful that I had a really stable upbringing. I think that is a, a really beneficial part of having been involved in the church as, as a, a younger person growing up. Um, but of course it, you know, it was quite, quite a, a jump into cold water. Like once I went to school, but, um, but my older brother, so I didn't even start questioning until I got to college. I, I just totally swallowed like all of the, all of the responses that they programmed me with in the apologetics classes. I was like, yep. Okay. This is what I say to that thing. This is what I say to that thing. Like without really applying sort of the, the catechism back and forth that you imagined would be happening. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really apply any, any critical thinking to any of the things that they told me to say. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with the terms uh, apologetics, I, I'm not sure how common that is in other uh, denominations, but, um, but it's basically like a class where they say, you know, here's what people are going to challenge about your faith and here's your answers for those things. Right. I think so. a lot of denominations are primarily concerned with the apologetics around uh, atheism and whether or not there's the existence of God, which is why that is one of the subjects online that has been done to death. Um, uh, right. uh, folks who have your hands up, we're going to get to a Q&A later, but, it, but it's going to be a little bit. But thank you for being with us. Um, there was something I wanted to... Uh, oh, I have to check comments. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> nope. No valuable comments. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. Well, what do you mean? There's no such thing as in, the in last thing I comment. wanted to to mention was. Oh, okay. We'll come back to the bad, the not good comment. Um, deconstruction. Um, I, right. I feel like this is something we, we've mentioned a couple times already, and we're going to mention more probably in this episode and others. Deconstruction is is really uh, uh, really buzzing right now in evangelical circles, but it can apply to any denomination or, or religious experience. It's basically when you experience something or, or start doubting and um, you start to pick apart the pieces of your faith and how it fits together. 
Um, in some cases, this is how people end up moving away from faith. And for others, uh, this is like they, they deconstruct and then they reconstruct and their, you know, faith gets sort of uh, amendment amended and becomes more, more flexible instead of going away altogether. Um, so I just want to push against this preconceived notion that, you know, well, if you're deconstructing your faith and you're on the road to atheism, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think that's fair. Um, so yes, I just wanted to take a moment to talk mm -hmm. about what deconstruction actually is, uh, should we look at the the comments, Void Boy? Are you are you holding me to my my mod honesty here? Oh no, not necessarily. I mean, if you see something that is uh, immediately relevant, you know, bring it to the table. Uh, and I, I do uh, enjoy this um, talk about deconstruction because it, at least when I hear it for the first time uh, in in this uh, subtext, it typically means you know deconstructing your faith does sound like you're taking it apart and really looking at it for what it is almost like in a mechanical sense, right? You're reverse engineering it, right? It's like Legos. Like you Legos. Can, yeah. Are you going to like, you can break a piece off and build another piece on. Will what you make be completely different or not? Or do you just like it in pieces and you don't want to build anything? Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, that there is a general fear of like, oh, no, this is like the surefire way of like, you know, losing your fate. I mean, it's not necessarily right, because I mean, we, we, we can't <laughs> we can't know that for sure. I, I mean, think that when deconstruction comes from a place of hurt and maybe anger and, and, and that's fully justified, I think that it may be more likely. I, I think, it, you know, it, you know, deconstruction isn't a single thing. Um, I know that it, it's been important for me, and I'll talk about that that later. Um, I, I think actually that deconstruction, uh, at least to a degree, is something that a lot of clergy are very comfortable doing, but we don't talk about it because we don't want to scare our parishioners. I think I think that's real. Yeah, yeah and I think that defensiveness is is something that um, is very natural, and and especially I mean when when you have. Um, I, I mean, at least I can only speak for for myself and my experience. But I mean, for me, I I know that the faith that I had going into that experience was very kind of circular and buttoned up. Things made sense. Well, that was going to be my question. That deconstruction itself seems problematic in that setting because you sort of the impression I got, and correct me if it's the wrong impression was that there, it wasn't all about critical thinking. It was about sort of loyalty to a creed or an apologetic line or, or whatever the situation called for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, um, uh, and, and, and uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I think that I, going into that experience, so I, I had a really important conversation with my brother. I mentioned earlier that he had gone off to college and kind of, you know, failed with flying colors, <laughs> bursting out of the bubble and just sort of like diving into all that stuff. He started questioning before I did. So his last couple years of high school, he was just kind of like biding his time and like doing the things he needed to do to not get into trouble. But um, but once he got to college, he was like off and running. Whereas like I got to college and I'm like, I'm here to convert everybody, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. very different approaches. Um, so I uh, went. I, I'm going to make a meme of that. <laughs> convert all the things just <laughs> yeah i mean and that's that's such a focus of the evangelical faith right like there was so many stories floating around about like 
you know, the, when you die, like, I remember there's this one in particular where like you die and like Peter brings you into this library filled with like, I mean, I don't know how many people here are old enough to like remember card catalogs at a library where like there's just giant drawers with giant like stacks of, of um, index cards in them. And, you know, just a, a huge room with like floor to ceiling catalogs of like every interaction you've ever had in your entire life. And he pulls this one drawer and he's like, these are all the people that you witnessed to. And it's tiny and it's pitiful and it's like awful. And you're <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm responsible for all these other people I talked to going to hell. And And there's really such an emphasis placed on like you know, that like you can be that one person between that person and eternal damnation. And and there's so much pressure around that, that I understand. Very I feel like if we now. were so narrow on dogma, that that would be a good reflex. These are all the people you could have helped. How many of them did you help? But when it's only right. about proselytizing, it's, exactly. it's easy to feel like, Ooh, that's, that's just yucky no matter what. <laughs> yeah. So I decided that I was going to be the person to gently bring my brother back into faith and to challenge him. And so he picked You're me up. You're a very goals-oriented person. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, he picked me up from a cello lesson one time in that summer between my senior year and, and freshman year. And, um, and I was like, this is the moment. And I was really leaning heavily on that verse that said... Um, I think like Peter or somebody is going to speak to like some wanton group of people that have gone off the rails and God says like, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say when the time is, is there or whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to plan what I'm going to say at all. I'm just going to dive right in there. <laughs> that's, that's living by faith. Like it sounds like you're really, you're taking these conclusions to their logical you know, right, direction right. And, and really putting them to the test. <laughs> process. I, I really, I really right. like it. Yeah. So I, so I was like, Hey, like, I don't even, Oh, I remember he had on his dashboard, this like bobblehead Jesus for some reason. Oh my God. I uh, don't they're, know. they're very common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're all over the place. Doesn't everyone get one after, you know, like, honorary should. Bobblehead Jesus? your DMV should give it to you with <laughs> yeah. your license plates. <laughs> yeah. And so I awkwardly started the conversation, I think somehow based off of the bobblehead Jesus, I don't remember what I said. And honestly, I don't remember a whole lot of the conversation either except that he was so gentle and so kind and so um loving with with just sort of gently bringing up all of these points that i hadn't taught like thought about and all of these points that the church just you know sort of conveniently glossed over <laughs> that um and, and i didn't really have answers for anything except for I, I do remember one thing like the one part of the conversation that did stick in my brain was him saying, like, don't you think it's weird that, like, the only time that you really feel God is when you're at these, like, huge youth rallies? Because we used to go to these huge, you know, almost every summer, these huge youth rallies with, like, 2,000, 5,000 kids with this big band. And there's a lights and the music. And, like, everybody's just, like, in this space. And, and it feels, like, so powerful. And I was going to the wrong Christian camps because <laughs> we were in a cabin in the woods. So oh, we did that I too. don't know where... I, I don't know what denomination I have to be on board with, but I, I feel like I, I could have had more pizzazz in my church camp experience. Yeah, now. yeah. I don't know if that is because we also had church camp that was like more like camping, but um, but these were like big youth rallies that we would drive like out to Michigan or 
somewhere. Like the church would rent a bus wow. and pile everybody in and, and like off we'd go. So, um, so to me, I was like, well, I mean, no, I mean, I feel God in my room. I feel God like everywhere. Um, but to him, like that was the only time that he could really connect to that feeling of being like emotionally connected to spirit. So, uh, and that was like the only retort that I had for any of the other things. So, so the crucial thing was that like at that moment, I decided that um, I was still convinced that like there's answers for these questions. I'm I'm going to still come out Krishna on the other side. I'm going to, you know, I'm sure that there are answers to all of these questions, but I felt like it was really important in that moment to be honest with myself about if there was a particular thing where the only backing for that thing was because the Bible says so, that for me, that that was no longer going to be good enough. I felt like things should be verifiable outside of this one book. Like it's a big world and there's a lot of, I mean, yes, you know, I think that's a point of contention for a lot of people, especially when they first start to do some deconstruction, is that especially if you took history, my history class, it's like you need multiple primary source uh, arguments, you know, that, that are drawn from actual, you know, context. You can't just draw on a single thing, a single book, a single tradition. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people look at that with the Bible and they say, ouch. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And, and, and I get, I I mean, I get that the Bible is a book that has so much value and so much to learn from it, um, where some people are like, this is the book, this is the only book I need. And, and, and I, you know, I, I can see how, I can see how people can, can reach that conclusion. And I felt like for me, um, learn just, you know, starting to read other books. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, other books have valuable things in them too. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I think that was a really crucial decision. Just, just again, deciding to be honest with myself and to, um, to feel like my faith should be able to defend itself and that I shouldn't have to um, ignore other aspects of of knowledge and truth in order to protect what like this this one particular uh denomination with this one particular set of beliefs where you know we were i i remember driving to church on sunday mornings on um like easter and christmas and driving past the church down the block that would have the the parking lot like completely packed on those two days and my dad be like, oh, like all those EC Christians over there, like who only go to church on Easter and Christmas. And um, and and like just like the general idea that like so many other kinds of even Christian faith like wasn't good enough for whatever reason that like I remember kind of, you know, having this view that like, oh, you know, Baptists, like they're cool. Like they, you know, basically, peop- you know, if if the church that there was a line and denominations were either on one side of that line or the other and there was like three other denominations that were like in the okay zone and everything else was like i don't know some sort of i don't even know what you know because i think when you're young too like you kind of absorb these these ideas from your parents without really definitely like critically thinking i think that's why on a lot of unchurched um a lot of people who grew up in the church what i would call churched people struggle to reach out to the unchurched 
because there is a difference in perspective, not necessarily in, in, in belief all the time, but have growing up in the church and not growing up in the church can make a significant difference. And I think that sometimes the people in those two categories aren't speaking the same language. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, I wanted to yeah. ask you a little bit about uh, how do we get uh, tying all of this to music, right? Um, yeah. I really enjoy that perspective of getting uh, things outside of like, you know, one particular text, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I had a MFA professor, um, she's a writer, and she talked about that sometimes when you're creating something, there's a chronology, right? In history, we have chronologies, but there's also an emotional chronology where you, you know, there's moments where you have faith and then you don't have faith, right? And that there's like no like dates, right? There's like a moment you have it and there's a moment you don't. And that's the, you know, the emotion and the feeling, right? How do you take those emotions that you got from readings and, you know, your deconstruction and combine that and like weave that into your music? Yeah, I love that question. Thanks. Um, so I, I think uh, for me, I had to go through a whole process of, I mean, once I made that decision, to be honest about um, what, you know, each 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 belief, like I had to look at each belief one by one. So I had to look at like the idea of the Trinity. What do I believe about that? Like, um, you know, do I believe that that Jesus was a historical person? Like, okay, yes, there's evidence for that. Um, okay, how about this other thing and that other thing? Like, all the way down to like, do I believe in God? And, um, and so I, I mean, there was definitely a point where I was like, I, I mean, I don't know. To me, I feel like belief in God is one of those things, like many things in life, where depending on what you want to believe you will find evidence for that if you want to believe in god you will see evidence for god everywhere if you don't want to believe in god you will see evidence of the lack of god everywhere and and well, similarly to to love too right like if you believe in love you believe that that is out there and and you will find it if you don't believe it's there it's going to be a lot harder to find it you may still come across it you know god I may still see that someday but Faith is also a lot more dynamic than than people out to be make it out to be. And I think, you know, I, I said I think I said this in our last podcast too, that faith untested by doubt is no faith at all. And the biblical stories we have are evidence of that, where we see like the twelve disciples, for example, walked with Jesus and still doubted and, and still and still mm-hmm. fled and yeah. still denied him. Yeah. Um, that, you know, uh, we we should not assume that our faith would be any better of that. Uh, so you know, I I think a lot of people feel like they are their faith needs to always be at high tide, uh, and I don't think that's realistic. And I think it can add a level of shame to problems that doesn't need to necessarily be there in a lot of cases. Right. And I think I, I forget who said something along the lines of like the you know an unexamined faith. I forget what the quote is, but something about like unexamined faith. An unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, maybe Socrates, but it might be one of those made-up Socrates quotes. Yeah, one of you know one of those guys. <laughs> one of those dudes. the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Love them. You know, all the Greeks said that. You know the ones we're talking about. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so so moving out of moving like from that point where I was like, okay, all of the Legos are on the floor which pieces of the Lego do I want to build back? Um, in that process, I ended up 
um, going to grad school for music therapy in Tallahassee. And, um, and, and those years were really hard. Like I, you know, really had the feeling like the whole rug was pulled out from under me. Like, you know, like I was talking about before, I had this whole kind of very circular faith that was very, felt very comforting, very buttoned up. There was an explanation for everything. Everything made sense. Um, you know, also conveniently like putting me above other people. <clears throat> so convenient. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and really like moving forward, I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want Moving out of that, like in that time when all the Legos were on the floor, I was able to look back at the way that I related to the world when I was in that buttoned up space and realize that like every single new person that I met, there would be like I would be trying to suss out like A, if they were a Christian or not, B, were they like the quote right kind of Christian and then depending on the answer to that, like would determine like how close am I going to be to this person? What kind of, um, you know, what, what kind of possibilities is there for this new relationship? Instead I like of, to think I jump roped with that line between being the right kind of Christian that I do a lot of bunch of things wrong. And then I'd go preach for a Sunday and confuse you. <laughs> well, the fact that you were like going to seminary school was just baffling to me and very interesting. <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, yeah, that was, yes. <laughs> but, um, but it's hard when you're like, when every time you see someone, you're like holding up this little litmus test, trying to figure yes. out what you're dealing with. Right. Instead of just being able to meet a person as a person and, and recognize that like every single person has such a complicated history of their interactions with other people, like what their family of origin situation was like, all, you know, even all the different situations that they've been in throughout their life and that like who am I to judge what conclusions anybody comes to based off of those experiences you know like I think I read some some statistics somewhere that they used to like hang over our heads in, in apologetics where um like if somebody doesn't convert to Christianity by the age of 18 I think it's like you know upwards of 80 or 90 percent of Christians are Christian by the age of 18 so it's like okay we're looking at this other like 10 to 20% of people saying like, how can we rope them onto our team? And in that period, it seems almost political at that point when you're looking to the stats and saying, all right, people, yeah. we got to bump up these numbers. These are rookie numbers. <laughs> yeah. And boy, boy, I promise I'm getting to your question. It's a very roundabout kind of way to get to it. But, um, but I, uh, I really had to look outside. Like once, once I was in that, place of being able to finally like really actually respect other people for who they are. I was able to respect other faith traditions for what they bring to the table without feeling threatened by, you know, this, this faith, like taking over my own faith or whatever, whatever. Um, and so one of, one of the faith traditions that really spoke to me at that time was um, the tradition of Taoism and, um, and I came across the, the Tao Te Ching and this really beautiful translation of it that had these beautiful black and white pictures. And, um, and so for anyone who doesn't know the Tao Te Ching, it is one of the most accessible, uh, faith documents. I think that is probably out there. It's very frequently and well translated. You can find it for free all over the place. Uh, I recommend it's it's really worth a look and it, it will not it will give you a lot for the time it demands of you, which will be quite little. 
Yeah, it's I but it's also not the kind of thing that is like you sit down and read it through. Like there it's can it's a a group of like 40, 50, 60 something like It could like go poems. well as a daily devotional. I'm sure there's yeah. many many very wise ways to approach it that I am completely ignorant of. For sure. For sure. So it there the thing that spoke to me about it was that it was so um uh, <laughs> how do I say this? It, it sort of doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, it does and it doesn't like it. Um, like you read it and it's most it, honest book review ever. <laughs> um, it, it didn't make any sense, but it also made total sense to me at the time at the same time. And, um, and also at the time I was like coming to appreciate the, um, I, it's super cliche, but just the value and the truth of the yin yang symbol. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but it has been um, socially co-opted quite heavily. Would you yeah. like to walk us through the the actual meaning as as you understand it, so we can try to walk outside of that uh, cultural appropriation <laughs> issue we have here in yeah. the Americas? I don't know about anywhere else. I shouldn't. Yeah, well, I, I will say too that like all of this understanding, I don't know that I would have been able to really digest it if I was coming from my previous buttoned up space. Like, I think I needed all the lingos on the floor in order to read the Tao Te Ching and be like, mm. I'm so glad that metaphor is holding. We'll see how far <laughs> it'll go. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really helpful. Um, yeah, and so, all right, so the the Tao Te Ching is really full of. Um, it's basically a book of, of fairly short poems and all throughout all of those poems, like there's this basic idea that dark can't exist without the light or light can't exist without the dark. Like they define each other and they create each other. One cannot really exist without the other. Right. I mean, yes, they can, but also they can't. <laughs> um, and so this book really points to how integrated opposites are with each other. You know, we think of sometimes like how closely love and hate is related, how closely like, um, <laughs> I don't know, again, like light and dark or um, friends and enemies that there's like some sort of connection there that makes you like have this emotional resonance towards this person. Whereas somebody who's not emotionally connected in that way will just be like, Oh, it's whatever that person like, um, but the, the, the recognition of, of how much the, the, the light and the dark define and need each other, uh, was so important to me of just making sense of the world around me at that time, you know? And so then like reflecting well, on that's a lot very of different from, from the place you started that sort of circular, um, yeah. theology, I guess you might call it. Right. And and I think at that time too, I mean, I was looking at the, you know, the Christian stories and I'm, I'm looking at like, you know, God and Satan and heaven and hell and all these really sharp dichotomies where it's like either or, and I'm like, okay, now I can sort of understand like why, why it is that there, you know, worldwide, there's sort of this like basic human thing of balance that, that there's so many things that, um, exist in balance to another thing and um and the interconnectedness of that and and at the same time also uh 
you know, there, there was, um, there was, oh my God, since we're on dank Christian memes, there was one that I saw recently that just had me cracking up where, um, uh, where it was like one of those four panel ones with, um, oh my God, please don't kill me, but her name is slipping me. Uh, Amidala from Star Wars where, okay. You know, you're going to X, aren't you? Aren't you? Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's so, so the first panel is Jesus being like, I saved everybody from being thrown in a pit of hell, in a pit of fire. And she's like, who's throwing him in the fire? And he's just smiling and she's like, who's throwing yeah. them in the fire? <laughs> and I was just like, oh my Anakin's God. Face is, is quite perfect. For it's, that. it's great. Me- memes are a great uh, education tool. <laughs> Seriously. And I was like, that is so so apropos and just like really um like just spoke to me that i'm like this is so um accurate just in terms of like how um when you're able to like get a little bit of distance when you're able to not feel like your whole world is going to crumble if this one question goes one way i think you're able to approach things with a little bit more humor and be which is partially why i think this yeah which is partially why i think this community is so valuable that that there's space for that where like so much of the christian world is so uh armored up about like specific things that like if it's not this way then you know whatever whatever so um getting back to music um so i think from she did it she did the thing um so when uh through through this um this resonance that I was having at the time with the Dao Te Ching when I got to Tallahassee to go to grad school um there I drove past this um this organization that had a sign um that was called the Taoist Tai Chi Society and I was like Taoist Tai Chi <laughs> and and I was like hmm I am very interested so I stopped in and they're like yeah, we do Taoist things. We mostly just do Tai Chi. And it was like, okay, cool. I guess I need to exercise. So I started practicing with them um, and started practicing Tai Chi and uh, discovered that they they don't really make a big deal of it, but in Tai Chi practice, all of the principles of Taoism are so alive. And there's really that, um, the Tao Te Ching talks a lot about like the soft approach and about um, the effectiveness of being like water in approaching things. That water can be so powerful and so gentle and has all the dichotomies sort of wrapped up in it. And the movements of Tai Chi are in that same way, very sort of push and pull, um, gentle, but building strength. Um, and so I, I gained so much from practicing Tai Chi and, and I think really helped me, like it was a religious organization, but they didn't really make a big deal out of it. Like they are Tai Chi and, and Taoism usually paired and are they, are they extensions of each other? Um, that's a good question. I am not sure how much Tai Chi is connected to Taoism in the wider world. Um, I know that this particular Tai Chi organization kind of, um, uh, it, it takes the the Taoism practice as part of um, the Tai Chi practice, and that's all kind of like wrapped up together. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not sure how much 
recognition there is of that worldwide. Um, but they, they actually have, uh, so this, this club that I went to, which was in the same, um, town city as my, my grad school, um, happened to be in the national center for this organization. So this is a Tai Chi group that has branches in many cities across the U S and they all practice this one form of Tai Chi. They're actually in like 44 countries around the world. So it's really cool. You can fly to Spain and just like drop into a Tai Chi class. And as long as you have your t-shirt that like shows you're part of the club, like you can just like jump in and they're practicing the same set, which is really awesome. Um, and then um, I, after grad school, I, I, my brain was fried and I needed time off. And so I, I went and spent um, a couple months up at the, uh, the international center outside of Toronto. And that was a great experience. And they have a huge um, temple there that has um, uh, like these, these various, they, they call them the three, uh, three religions temple where they have um, uh, Confucius Lao Tzu and um, uh, what's the other one? Buddha, I guess. Uh, but anyway, three like three of the the main figures in Buddhism, Taoism, and um, Confucianism. And um, I didn't go to the temple a whole lot, mostly because they did chanting at like seven in the morning, and that's way too early for me. So um, well, it's a little early, not for chanting. <laughs> and and they approach chanting as almost like a health benefit and. I mean, it's in, it's in Chinese, so you never really know what you're saying. Um, so I, I think that the value of that on a spiritual level, I mean, I, I don't know how valuable it is to say words that you don't understand. Like, I don't really believe in like, Hey, we forget how long ago it was only, I think in the 1960s where Catholic masses stopped being performed in Latin um, for, for exactly the reasons you're discussing here. So really? it's definitely an issue. And I think yeah. when the Catholic church recognizes it, as an obstacle over and against their tradition. I think that's saying something. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I mentioned before that, that music was a big part of, of choosing our new church when we, when we moved churches when I was in the sixth or seventh grade. And um, music was always a big part of my life in general of just, I, I was always really drawn to it for whatever reason. Um, I mean, I remember hearing like the original Jars of Clay album when I was, in like probably middle school and it like totally blew my mind and I was like oh my god it was like the, the I, I mean I wore that CD out and um <laughs> <laughs> and it was the first music that I really heard that was like really crafted with the music in mind first like I feel like a lot of liturgical music is made primarily with like the the words or like the the um the lyrics in mind first of like, I'm making a song to praise God. And like this, many is of them are translated too. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing that I want to say about God and I'm going to put it to music. Whereas, you know, the other approach where like you're making music for the sake of music. And it also happens to be spiritual because we're all spiritual beings. Um, and it also has some, like you can tell it's Christian music. It definitely has a lot of that kind of imagery woven in, but it's, it's not, music that you would listen to and be like, oh, this is Christian music immediately. You know what I mean? Um, so when I was deciding to go to school, I was like, all right, I want to, I want to do something in music. You know, again, I, I, you know, later on found out about music therapy and decided to go to school for that. Um, 
while I was in grad school for music therapy, I had a, uh, well, let me also just back up and say, um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, music therapy is the practice of using music for some sort of non-musical purpose. So like when you go to a music lesson, you're, you're learning music to try to gain the skill of playing music. But if you go to a music therapist, they're going to use music to help treat your anxiety or help you, um, get walking after a stroke or help, um, like a child with AD, um, ADHD or autism or something like learn skills or like they're using music for some reason, some purpose that is not the music itself. Um, and the music itself might be just part of the therapy. Like it might be the music itself is in the therapy serving some sort of purpose. And then you are talking for most of it. Like, like if you're doing lyric analysis with a music therapist, that might be an example of that where you're listening to a song and then you're really just like diving into the lyrics, talking about why they're meaningful to you, what it reminds you of, like any of that versus um, other forms of music therapy that practice that are using the music itself as the therapeutic um, element. Like if you're going to a guided imagery and music session run by a music therapist, um, you'll be listening to some sort of like complicated musical classical piece that will, um, and you'll be guided through like a imagery experience and then talk about the imagery that came up for you that the music evoked for you. Um, so I, I've spent most of my music therapy career working with um, people with dementia and also um, children in a hospital in a medical setting. Um, I, I just returned to my work with people with dementia, which um, I really enjoy. Like I, um, I mean, I'm in my thirties now and I, I like coming back to this work with people with dementia has been sort of a whole new like awakening for me in a way because I like I didn't want to be a person that enjoyed working with old people <laughs> you know can, what I mean can we talk a little bit about what dementia is so like you worked in yeah. a children's hospital and I think that we can imagine the sort of diversity of patients a music therapist might encounter in that sort yeah. of clinical hospital setting um, but I'm guessing a lot of us aren't, aren't super familiar with dementia uh, and or Alzheimer's, which are not quite the same thing, um, but they are frequently categorized together. Right. So um, dementia is the umbrella term. Um, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Um, dementia is generally a term that we use to describe um, changes in the brain and changes that specifically interfere with um, functioning and memory. Um, and so Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. Some types of dementia are reversible. Like if you are experiencing dementia as a result of like alcoholism or like a TBI, it's possible that that dementia, those kinds of dementia, sometimes uh, medication related, those can be reversed or um or shifted. But um, most most of the time when we're talking about Alzheimer's dementia or frontotemporal dementia, um, Lewy body dementia, those those kinds are progressive and um, and there's not currently a cure for it. Uh, and basically it 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 over time um, takes away your ability to do various things. I mean, first, it's usually your ability to remember specific dates and and people and and like really fine details. And then over time, um, like every part of your brain is affected. So like eventually, you're walking and your speech and um, you know at the end, even like your ability to sit up is is affected. Um, but throughout that process, I mean, it's it's really villainized 
Um, and, and I'm not trying to gloss over how heartbreaking that process is, but I think also there's a lot of joy in the space that people get to, like after they're able to sort of deal with the, the grief and the loss, um, they're able to really live in the moment. Like everything with dementia work is like right here, right now, what's happening? What are you feeling? And especially on a sensory level, like what are the noises in the environment? Like what are the people? And one of the last areas of the brain to be affected is the area that um, governs your emotions. And so even deep into dementia, people might not understand like specifically the sentence that you're saying to them, but they will understand how you're saying it. And they will understand that they're being talked down to. They will understand that somebody is um, being mean or like, you know, <laughs> holding their power or whatever it is. Um, those kinds of interactions do, um, you know, do still resonate. And so, uh, so, you know, we, we see oftentimes, like, as people get further, like family members are like, oh, like, I don't want to go visit this person. They don't even know it's me. But I mean, most of the time they know that this is a person that I love and this is a person that's important to me. They may not remember your name, but they know like that you you are like one of their people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so I think there there's so much of dementia work that demands that we give up our own egos and confront our own fears about death. On too. that note, on that note. Um, uh, someone said in comments, what a beautiful career. I can imagine it makes you so much more compassionate and loving towards people. Um, that I think that's the job description. <laughs> yeah, that, that literally is essentially the job description. And actually, so this organization that I went back to, I had worked before I went to the hospital and originally I left because I'm like, oh, like I wasn't doing official clinical music therapy work. It wasn't like this, um, you know, I, I mean, I was using my music therapy skills, but you know, it, it was a little bit looser again, like everything is very much in the moment. So like if I'm gathering people for a music group, um, you know, the, the way that the community feels when I first start to gather people from the way that the community feels when everybody's actually together, like might be very different. Um, but, uh, I am, I am also, Again, I promise this is a very long <laughs> route around to the music stuff. But um, so when I was in <laughs> when I was in music therapy school in grad school, um, I, I wanted to explain what music therapy is first, so that when I say this next part, it makes a little more sense. Um, one of the classes in music therapy school is um, a, a repertoire class. So when you're training to be a music therapist, they train you as broadly as possible, so that any kind of population that you get a job with working after school that you have the basic skills to be able to like continue your training in that that field because i mean you might be working in a psychiatric hospital you might be working in um long-term care you might be in private practice where you have kind of a mixed bag of all different kinds of clients um there's any number of of situations you might end up in and um one of the questions i get a lot as a music therapist is like what kind of music is best for you know what kind of music is most therapeutic and um i i think that comes out of our societal desire to have like a prescription like we have this prescription mentality like tell me what music i know what my prescription would be <laughs> it's the original we uh shop music bop, 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 bop. That's gonna be in my head really, it's, it's when not there's the, nothing else left. It's not the <laughs> intro, like that intro though. It's like meditation. Like I feel at peace the moment I hear that weird 
like if I don't realize it's down. a loop, I think I could just be in perpetual love with the song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And and for another person, that same song might completely send them over the edge because they might have an association with that song where like because they spent too much money on the We Shop channel and it and it just reminds <laughs> them of that rage and bias remorse. Right. Or maybe a lot you have of bad a child. titles for that for that console. Or maybe you have a child who is ignoring everything you say every time they're on the Wii Shop. And so that music just sends you into a rage because you need to physically go up the stairs and get your child's attention. Um, that was um, a very but, mom story. That, that was the mom <laughs> mom's point of view on that. That's just what popped into my head. I'm not a mom. I don't know. I mean, I'm a cat mom, but um Anyway, point of the story is that everybody's relationship to music is different and everybody's relationship to, especially when you get down granular to each particular song is different. You know, for some people, classical music can be completely like transformational and send you like, you know, into a a blissful space. Whereas like other people, classical music makes you very anxious and very like, well, um, And, you know, same with like heavy metal, like heavy metal is like for some people is an expression of uh, and a vetting of something that they feel inside. Whereas for other people, it makes them angry. Um, Whereas for other people, it's like a a valve where you're letting that out. So it, it has so much to do with that relationship. So as a music therapist in your training, part of what you're training to do is to learn to play as many different kinds of music as you possibly can so that whatever kind of client you're working with, you can play something that they like. So, um, what a, what a task. Yeah, it is definitely quite a task, but I mean, I like in the class we learned like 40 or 50 songs and it was like, all right, here's the top five requested songs in country. Here's the top five requested songs in oldies. Just, just enough to kind of get you started. The ones that are likely to hit. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's like, nice. more time. You know? Let me call you sweetheart. <laughs> it's, um, the hits you got it. Once you know the hits, you can, you can try to try to, you know, work with the locals. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do still get like a definite sense of satisfaction when I like play like Daisy Bell for some person, older person with dementia who's in their eighties or nineties. And they're like, how do you know that song? And they're just like incredulous. So that. we need a system <laughs> for music therapists were the each song like you know the top hits you know they're they're only a couple points but if you can actually provide music therapy with someone for for something obscure that that you get points and that there's an annual uh champion uh i i I think we can we can gamify this make some rewards we can do this yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) um so part of in that repertoire class one of my um one of my assignments was to write a song in one of the styles that we had studied. So um, one of the styles that we had studied was uh, was Motown music, which is one of my favorites. And so it was like 100%, I'm all over that. I will write a song in that style. And I did. And after I wrote that song, I was like, just, I it, there was something very important in that where I was like, wow, I was able to create something beautiful and contribute something beautiful to the world that didn't exist before. And there's this um, this self-reflective piece of it, too, that when you're writing music, um, you are taking the, the, the very specific experiences of your life and then also zooming out and asking, like, how does, how does this 
how does this experience relate to um, the the world as a whole? Like how how is this specific experience of mine universal on a a wider level? And then trying to write kind of with the specific and the universal in mind at the same time is like really part of what I love doing a lot. And I, I think um, is generally a good thing for songwriters to do and, and really an effective method that lots of people have used. Like I, you know, I, I not to say that like, cause there are many songs written that have like very specific stories, like especially in country music, like the song, a boy named Sue. A lot of country or, music songs are, are in fact stories. Right, um, very specific stories. Johnny like, Cash is a great right. example. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love that you mentioned that, you know, storytelling. Um, and I guess it was kind of like, it's, it's totally related to your journey of finding story and using it as a therapeutic thing. Like, what kind of stories do you feel that are most resonant with people? Um, I think that it, I mean, love stories, of course, are kind of always... Um, always going to be a hit because people generally, um, you know, if you're not currently in love, everybody wants to be in love. It's, it's something that you, um, is, is, is really like one of the experiences of, of human life in general that like most people would point to as being one of the most valuable aspects of their yeah. human existence. It's right. universal. Right. Right. And, and so I think that, those stories tend to connect really easily because lots of people can relate to that. Um, and I think similarly, the loss of love is something that most people can relate to. Um, there, there's lots of different, um, lots of different, I mean, each of my songs kind of has its own, um, its own way of, of coming into existence. It's uh, like usually coming out of a specific experience and there's like some sort of of words or some sort of general idea or even like a general musical lick or some sort of um pattern that I'm playing with that I that I really love and 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 then sussing out okay like what does this pattern feel like what does it remind me of what kind of experiences have I had that this that this particular chord or this particular pattern is is drawing up in me internally and and then how like you know how do I find words for that it sounds um, almost like deconstruction for music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I have um a very long uh, catalog of voice memos of just like different ideas that pop up and like 95% of them don't turn into anything. It's just like an idea that I had. Well, I mean, a lot of them are driving in my car. So like I played and it's like, I've been there. I've been there. I got about good unwritten <laughs> songs I've started. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I know this is Cruel Angel, by by the way, Cruel Angel. Why don't you take an opportunity to to uh, introduce yourself, and then we'll talk more when we get to the the open question portion. Oh yeah, um, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm Cruel Angel. Uh, honestly, I uh, I don't really come from a point of uh, anything to do with the Christian memes thing or. Christianity, I'm just some guy, I guess. Um, he likes to and, chill with us. And it just so <laughs> happens that your username is on theme, and we like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of partially a uh, reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion, but oh, then that's kind of got like, um, 
That's All right, we should do a dis- checkpoint on this because you you are usually with us when we do our our casual Sunday conversation, right? Yeah, we need to do a casual Sunday episode on Evangelion. I think we can make this happen. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Evangelion anyway, it's like, well, it's basically the whole thing is religious subtext. So uh, it's it's weird. Well, well, I think that's good. We'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Um, so, uh, Olive, uh, I wanted to. So, you've talked a lot about how you've used music to heal, and that you've almost sort of deconstructed music and tones and chords in ways to try to, you know, uh, see what their emotional resonance is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how does that experience relate to your creative process? when you're writing music for the rest of us. Which a uh, reminder to everyone that Olive of Olive Tiger is the one who, who creates and legally sanctions our intro and outro music. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so I, um, I mean, I don't think that we have, well, I mean, never say never, but the vast majority of human experiences are things that, we share together things that, you know, as isolated as we feel, um, I think it's pretty rare that humans have some sort of feeling or, or thought that no other human has. And so I feel like I go through a process where when I'm writing music about something in particular, um, it's, it it is about me, but it's also, it's also not about me, (laughs) you know, recognizing that again, like a big driver of my current spiritual life has been like how, um, how can I live the truth that truly I am equal to everyone else? I am no better than anyone else and I am no worse than anyone else. And so many of us struggle with that really basic understanding that like human beings as a whole. Christians especially. Sorry, <laughs> I, I have to highlight as the pastor in the room. Yeah. It's right. a bit of a stereotype and it's a stereotype for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's hard when you have a system that by nature says that I'm going to heaven and you're not, (laughs) you know, Um, like, I think it's very hard to separate. um, I mean, I think it's possible to, to still um, have the view. I think if your focus is on who goes to heaven and who doesn't that, you know, those theologies are, are there to, to select, but you know, when you're not so focused on everyone else's salvation and maybe just your own, (laughs) <laughs> that that that's uh, perhaps a different task. Right, right. Um yeah, and I don't know if this I mean maybe this is moving away from the topic a little bit, but I feel like there's so much in uh, like looking back from my from my former belief system, how many um how many of my beliefs are still with me but look different than they used to. Um Oh, interesting. Like for instance, the I I've really um there the belief that like Jesus is in my heart or like that that idea um is something that i i do believe now but i don't think it's just jesus i think it's it's like spirit god is is in all of our hearts and um whether or not we want it to like he's he's already there i, I mean i use the term he loosely but um but like spirit is already in our hearts whether or not we acknowledge it because we are spirit just by nature of being alive um i I think that is 
wrapped up in just the fact that we are conscious, period, that our consciousness and our energy is divine. And that that governs so much of my current belief. I'll use the term system loosely, but because um, it's I mean, it's always an ongoing process. Like my faith now is something that's alive and something that can be changed and something that as I continue throughout my life, I will encounter new things that will shape what I believe. But um, but I, I think that my practice of Tai Chi and my understanding of um, the ways that we use energy and what energy means to me as a concept um, sort of points me towards like my my uh, my current belief system is is kind of similar to like the force in Star Wars <laughs> a little bit. I, that sounds cheesy to say, but I have frequently um, said that the Holy Spirit is not so different from the force right. other than the 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 Holy Spirit's physical deeds are uh, not you know physically present usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, I, I mean, I feel like all of um, I, I, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not in a place where I have like every single part of my belief system, like, you know, neatly ironed out and figured out. And um, and I think a big part of the journey has becoming OK with that, because um, at first it was extremely uncomfortable to be like to move from a place where you have everything figured out to getting into a place where you're comfortable with not having everything figured out. and and I think that's one of the biggest things, like you, even as I try to understand the term faith in general of what what is it that requires faith versus what are things that um, that are the church is just deciding as a thing. You know what I mean? Um, like, I think that the belief in God is something that comes down to faith. It's not going to be something that you're going to be able to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, it, like I said before, the same way that somebody who doesn't believe in God will see evidence for that everywhere. Um, and and that's, that's what makes. From... No, go ahead. I was just going to say that that's what makes faith faith. Like if you can totally prove every single little corner of everything you believe, then like, where's the faith in that? You know what I mean? So I think it's oftentimes right. presented as this this bad thing that like, oh, we need to find evidence for existence in God. But like, I've gotten so much more relaxed about that. I'm like, people are going to believe what they believe and it's not my job to convince them. And I think that that release of that responsibility has lifted so much anxiety off of my shoulders that I'm like, I, I it's important for me to live my life in a way with integrity and in a, a way that um, is moral in a way that treats other people the way that I want to be treated. But it is not my responsibility whether or not someone goes to this like hypothetical heaven that like who knows if if it actually exists, you know, like I again, it's one of those things where like that's that's a thing of faith. like you you have to accept that that part of your belief system is on faith. and that's a beautiful thing about that. I think that that's what some people who come from creedal traditions struggle with, that they do believe things, but they are told that their their creed is the thing, well, you must believe each of these tenets and you're out. And these tenets weren't written up by someone sitting in a pew. They were written up by some, you know, bishop hundreds, perhaps thousands of years ago um, or 8,000 years ago. Uh, and, and that's, you know, difficult to resonate with people. And I think people, like you've said, um, they want to find what's essential to their faith 
and not pick up extemporaneous things that they then feel they have to be responsible for or, or defend or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think allowing people to kind of like do their own thing and believe what they believe is, is so important. Yeah. And, um, I also wanted to add like another question to that. The, um, Cause me personally, when I, you know, think about this process of faith and stuff, uh, there's also the process of like losing it. And then there has to be like, when that happens, there's either two things, right? There's either like you go downhill and you just go, uh, no longer believe in, then you go through the process of healing and coming back. Um, I personally, there's never been a conversation mainly when those who lose it, well, then just kind of like, you know, they're gone. They're not, you know, they're lost in their own way. So I'm trying to come back, but I personally find it more useful uh, to find things that help you um, form your own uh, process of healing and then mm-hmm. for, you know, coming to your own, um, how do you tackle with faith in your own way, the way that makes sense to you, right? Um, because you're talking about this journey, right, of you looking through different texts and you go, going through different things, releasing yourself from the burden of converting others. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, in, in terms of maybe maybe you can look back and either through your music or through your own experiences, what things you found the most useful to kind of like, I guess, heal yourself going through something difficult? Um, I feel like the music has been such a powerful tool um, to process and integrate and digest my experiences, which I think is, is in tandem with, with what people mean when they say healing is, is, um, being able to make sense of, of where you've come from and where you're going and like what makes sense about where you've been and what you want to bring forward with you and what is no longer working for you and what doesn't make sense to you anymore. Um, and so I think that there's something on a physical level that music does for me that can be hard to describe. Um, but I think it started when um, when I started practicing Tai Chi, I started recognizing how just, I, I don't know, I, I had this new sense of body awareness that I had never had before, but like in a good way, because, you know, the way that I was raised, like the 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 body was always, always talked about as um, a, something that's going to lead you astray something that is going to um, be bad Purity or whatever. Purity culture. Yes, yes. Purity major, culture, major. big time. For those yeah. who don't know, purity culture is Christian orthodoxy that tells you what you should and shouldn't be doing with your own body, whether it's drugs or sex before marriage or wherever you fall on the issue of masturbation, that that is part of a purity culture and as Olive was describing, many you know pastors and teachers and parents are encouraging people to be quote unquote pure Christians. Right, and and yeah, the purity culture that was present at the time when I was growing up, it, I, I think, is a little better now. I mean, it's definitely still there for sure, um, the echoes of it. But um, but it wasn't until I started practicing Tai Chi that I started realizing that 
my body and my sensory experience is a way that I can connect with God and that that um that practice of of paying attention to I mean especially in Tai Chi practice you are um it, it's really the practice of paying attention to ever increasing subtle um, subtleties in the body of like how I'm turning my hips and my particular like foot placement and, you know, raising my arm to this level versus this level can feel totally different. Um, whereas, you know, when you're first starting, you're just learning to like where to put your hands and stuff. But like, um, but over time it's, it's like an onion where you're, you're like peeling back the layers and, and working deeper and deeper in the body and your awareness of your internal body becomes more and more, um, uh, refined. And so I feel like the practice of Tai Chi kind of started me on that path where I had this recognition of um, physical experience, just like literally being alive and paying attention to like what's happening inside my body and realized that like, wow, I've been trained to completely ignore um, what's happening with my body. Like I've, I've lived f- like completely denying the the sort of the fact that I had a body at all you know what I mean it just was not part of my um my consciousness like I had the feeling of like floating around most of the time I I think that this is something that's incredibly common in Christianity and I think it's it's particularly evident from our savior who uh literally put the body on the line uh for everything and I think that that leads to you know we have a number of hostile to the body uh, teachings, um, definitely a, a degradation of, of the physicality in, in many ways. And then there's churches who don't discuss it at all, which is its own kind of uh, invalidating and and problematic. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to take to, uh, a moment to, to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's that's been, um, I, I can't, that is something that I am still trying to digest and still trying to heal from because I'm still discovering at 36 years old, all different kinds of ways where that is still something that I'm working through um, in, in my life. And, and I think that that practice, once I brought that awareness back to my music, I was suddenly able to um, exist in the music in a way that I hadn't been able to before. Um, well, and do we want to consider segueing to some of your music or is now not a good time for that? Whatever works for you. Yes, no but I, I do want to read something first before we go there. Um, oh, you have a prepared statement? I do have a prepared statement on the subject. <laughs> this isn't about our legal standing to use your music, is it? Because I don't have <laughs> present or at all. No, you are uh, 100% um, welcome to to use my music and appreciate that you are that you are using my music. Um, uh, now we have it on recording. <laughs> gotcha. Yes. Um, gotcha. I just wanted to read a quote from um, so back in like 2015, we had just finished recording our first record. Um, which was our, the first record was was released. Who, who is we for those who don't know? Sorry, we is uh, my band Olive Tiger. Um, we had. Uh, recorded our first album uh, was released in 2016 and ironically was called until my body breaks um, speaking of the body <laughs> and um, 
our our next set of of records, which we are in the middle, we we released softest. So the the series is called Softest Eyes, um, which began with side A. So we're releasing them in in sides. Um, so side A was released last year. Side B is coming in October, and side C will be released next year. Um, but after we finished recording the first record, we were invited to to. Um, I to, have to jump in. You yeah. do know that records only have two sides, right? You can't just make up a side C. There's rules here. It's going to be a double LP, okay? This is anarchy. <laughs> um, and I should, I guess, mention that, like, in the music world, the term record is often used interchangeably with album. So it's not necessarily a vinyl record. But um, <laughs> I did find that very confusing in the beginning. Um, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> so we were invited to uh, to take over this blog for a week and we had literally just finished recording the first record like the final notes were finished like the day before um and i was trying to write about why music was so important to me and i wrote this i i wrote this which i'll read next which i i think sums up a lot of like where i've arrived to with music as a spiritual practice so i wrote because sometimes when I play music, every fiber of my being vibrates and expands and brims until the immensity of existence pours from my eyes and time slows down and the breath leaving my body extends from every cell. And at that moment, nothing else exists. Wow. And I feel... That was really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And and I feel like that um what I'm describing in that moment is an experience of transcendence. And I think that we are able to reach that state of transcendence through all kinds of different ways and I think sometimes that's used interchangeably with the idea of flow. You know, it's something that you can I think the original book was written about like tennis and reaching a state of flow while playing sports or um, video games or like anything where your attention is like completely immersed in something. But I think that there's something really special about playing music in general. And um, at least in my body, the way that I experience on a sensory level, that vibration and that um, it feels like a cleansing and it feels like a healing. And to me, that circles back to why music has been so important in churches for so long because it has this ability to bring us to this transcendent space. Yeah, definitely. So with that, um, we can segue into the next piece, which is um, I, I had wrote a song. Um, Brooklyn suggested that we maybe share, um, share one of the songs uh, during this Reddit talk. And, so the song that I wanted to share is called The Choir, um, and I thought might resonate with this community and is a song that I originally started writing um, as an invitation to spirit, to my muse, to like whatever that force is that brings creativity, which is, you know, some spiritual force um, in in my understanding. And uh, and I, I was feeling kind of disconnected, like having a bit of writer's block and wanted to write something to that I could sing when I wanted that connection to spirit and wanted to in, invite my muse or whatever to come and visit. And so I started writing this song 
um, three years later, I finished it <laughs> and had so many, several finished, quasi finished versions before that. A fully that. baked song. <laughs> fully baked. Oh, God, I've been there. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some songs, some songs come out in 20 minutes and it's beautiful when that happens. Uh, but most of the time there's a lot more struggle involved where like, you like this part, but this part doesn't quite feel right. And blah, blah, blah. And you go back and forth and, um, and, and getting the song to a point where like everything feels, um, right. And feels like it's in its place and feels good and feels like, yes, this is the thing that needs to be there. Um, I, I have no control over how long that takes. <laughs> I mean, I do have some control over how long that takes because I can put a certain amount of time and energy into it. But um, but generally, it's like you just kind of have to uh, take the song at whatever pace it's it's coming at and whatever pace spirit is feeding the different elements to you. Um, so this song like originally started with that spirit. And at the time, the No Ban, No Wall protests were going on because um, uh, Trump was doing his thing and... Um, you know, trying to kick people out. And I was like, this is the most, uh, <laughs> I don't know, to me, borders and boundaries uh, in general, just like, don't make sense. I mean, I know they make sense for some things, but anyway, go ahead. I was going to say it was like the most non-gamer moment out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, so I was really, um, I mean, not like personally impacted by that because, you know, I'm, I'm a white person that doesn't have any, um, international relatives or anything like that. So, it, so it wasn't, but it, it was in, impacting me on a spiritual level of, of, um, and, and so that the song started to take on some of the, some language that, um, that was mirroring some of, some of that, um, situation and and then there was also just the the idea behind it of just like connection in general of of like how do we reach out to another person and and connect with another person so um i i really love how this song came out it's so this this is from um softest eyes side a uh which is available on spotify and all the places that you might um find it uh apple music and you know all the places um but uh but yeah i guess we can we can hear it unless right. anybody has any other questions about it. We're ready. All right. All right. So we're, we're going to take a little musical break. And then when we come back, we're going to move towards our uh, question and answer conversation portion. So again, this is the choir by Olive Tiger off their album, Soft as Eyes, Side A. Said behold his secrets I've sent you my open ears Lift me up from the everyday rhythms The everyday rhythms the everyday rhythm. 
That was the choir by Olive Tiger. Uh, so we are back. Uh, uh, our, our friend, we've lost a friend. Hopefully, he'll return to us. Angel, uh, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be moving on to our Q and A uh, portion. Uh, so just a reminder: this is Dank Christian Memes. We are a place for all kinds of Christians and all kinds of non Christians. 
Uh, we've just had our lovely discussion with Olive of, of Olive Tiger and have been able to sample her music, which will also be the music on our intros and outros. Uh, so thank you very much, Olive, for both being here and for uh, giving us your music, essentially. Of course, I, I appreciate, I mean, the time and energy that anyone takes to listen. I mean, it's such a um, such an important thing for me to do in my own life. And it, um, there's something that feels like it comes full circle when it's like received and listened to. And um, so I, I have such a deep appreciation for that. Thank you. And thanks for sharing so much with us. So um, I think now, um, Void Boy, would you like to, in, in a briefer format, um, speak to your uh, faith journey a little bit, or, or would you rather? Oh, I first? I mean, I'll I'll be really brief. You know, I was. Um, I guess right now it's. I feel like it's like everyone, right? This is it's an it's an elastic thing. Um, I was born and raised as a Jehovah Witness. You know, I'm no longer in it, but I was in it for like about fourteen years, and through that, I've you know learned a lot about you know, how to read scripture and how um, someone, you know, expressing their faith and talking to a lot of people about, you know, their faith. And I have, I have to do a lot of that because, you know, the preaching. Um, I had a falling out. I realized that the, it, I had a more issue with the organization itself um, because they did something, the leadership did something that it was like too egregious for me to be comfortable uh, participating yeah, I'm and, sure you're not the only one who's had such an experience. That's, that's a little right. common, sadly. <laughs> right, and it was it, it was it was just, it was just too much, right? And I realized that it was too rigid, and how it was being expressed, like the faith and how it was being expressed, and how they wanted you to express it, was too narrow. And I realized that this is just something I can't do it honestly, and that's where it. I've, I've told this totally a bunch of times, but it was really uh, um, Olive's talked about, you know, expressing it authentically, right? Expressing faith authentically and living it in an authentic way that is not, you know, it's not coerced by anybody. And that's where it hit me. I was like, okay, this is definitely not conducive to where I am. And I essentially left it. And it, it, it was at a cost, you know, it came at a cost. My family stopped talking to me. I've lost all my friends. Um, because they were all from the same religion oh, as I am. So, that's so that, because they they make you invest so completely in their community, so that to step outside of their community is is to basically lose your world. Yeah, and essentially they they just take everything. You know, it's like okay, you you give us everything, and if you leave, we take everything. It was a zero sum game, uh, and it was terrible. Um, and I have to just kind of rebuild myself. I first things first. I just went full blown into atheism, like zero belief. I don't, you know, and just like again, it, like this conversation. You uh, want to look for evidence of God? You will find a lot of it. If you want to look for the evidence of the absence of God, you will find a lot of it. Uh, and I found like a lot, and I overindulge in it. And then later, like every, I think this happens to a lot of people. You kind of cool down you simmer down and you really want to be like, there's still something in you that is not. That's something, that's something we see at Dan Christian memes. We, we see commenters <laughs> who are like, I used to be fervently. And I think it happens for hardcore atheists and hardcore Christians that they, they used to be hardcore about it all the time. And they've experienced a, a, a chilling out over the years. Um, yeah. So it's nice. You know, I, I like to, so 
We did something <laughs> a little crazy as a subreddit. We actually removed everyone who had been banned over the course of seven years. We did our, our jubilee and, and freed everyone from their debts, um, hoping that, you know, some folks have chilled out. And, and we haven't seen a huge spike in people getting banned. So maybe they have, or maybe they just don't use Reddit anymore. So maybe, maybe that's good too. It's, it's yeah, the nature, just, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to toss in there too, that like, I, um, thanks for sharing your story, first of all. And um, I think it's so important to recognize that in, in that deconstruction journey, I think it's so uh, the people in your community, it's it's hard to know that the people in your former community are watching you being like, wow, oh, I'm like, you're going to look where you got now. And like, uh, and, it's, <laughs> and it's so important. Accurate. accurate. That's what my church always sounded like to me. <laughs> oh, man. And, I mean, you don't know. Yeah, mm. no, seriously. And I, I mean, I, I'm grateful that for me, there was a natural split of like this questioning for me came at a time when I was already in a shift of like going to college and um, you know, there was already, I mean, it was still painful when I went home at like holidays and whatever that like, it felt very weird to be in my parents' church again. And I eventually had to stop going because the preacher wouldn't stop saying crap from the pulpit. But, um, oh. <laughs> I remember I brought that I called you one day after like this particular time where I was like, I'm never coming back here. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. but just going back mm. to Void boy's story, I just wanted to, to sort of, uh, say thank you for sharing and also that like it's so important for us to remember that like you know people ending up in a particular place doesn't mean they're gonna stay there forever you know and most of us in a deconstruction process i i I mean maybe not most it maybe that's an overgeneralization but a lot of us end up in a place where we're like well i don't know if there's a god and like that's an important place to be before you start building things back stronger Mm. yeah i think there's some people out there that um yeah, we've talked about having all the, you know, you have your faith and it's maybe built out of Legos and, you know, sometimes a piece gets knocked off and maybe you can build it upright like it was, or maybe the whole thing has been obliterated. And, you know, I think there's a benefit to being able to see all the pieces, all the components of your faith, of your theology, of your religion, however you look at it and to say, aha, uh, and I think there's usually a recognition that, you know, you can reassemble these things under a number of different principles uh, or, or perhaps multiple principles uh, at once. Again, if that's an endeavor, you choose, there, there are many options. And I think one is just walking away. And I think a lot of people need to do that for a time too, where it's just been so hot, regardless of, of what side of the argument they've been on that they need to, to walk away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yeah. that can be a noble move as well. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to me, at least there's been, you know, there's like comfort levels, right? And there are things that I realize that make sense to me, things that are comfortable to me to like, you know, explore uh, in the, you know, when you're going through that deconstruction process. And I think I like being in, in comfort zones and it's hard for me to like, you know, go out of it and reach out. I hope we can be your comfort zone. Boy, <laughs> yeah. Boy. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I wouldn't, like the I, like I said earlier, I flounder a lot, right? Um, I wouldn't say I would call myself a Christian from any denomination because I don't I don't go anywhere, I don't practice, but I do still um, find the study of Christ of Christianity and theology something important to me still, and that hasn't left. You know, I was Jehovah Witness, sure, but I 
I think deep down I was like, I'm deeply interested in, in this, you know, this is something that means a lot to me. Uh, and, and just because I'm no longer part of that organization, that doesn't negate any of the feelings or of the studying I've made and the dedication as that's like, you know, I'm 29 and 14 years out of 29. That is a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a significant, significant hunk there. Yeah. It's yeah. a significant chunk and that will never go away. And I don't call it wasted. There's still a lot in the back of my mind. That is like life wasted. You know, you half of your life is wasted and no, not really. You know, you just have to like, um, this is part of your path, right? This is part of your process. It's needed to happen some way, somehow for you to really find who you truly are. And I'm, you know, I feel like I will be in this process of finding, discovering, researching, reading um, for a lifetime, you know, and I think that's, you know, for a lot of people, they have to think about this. This is not like a, a one and done thing. This is a lifetime thing. You know, you will be constantly processing your faith, expressing your faith and going yeah. through, going in and out forever because it's elastic, right? It's not rigid. It's, it's like alive. I think it is. Yeah, it's alive. Well, and I, I think that, you know, there's a good number of folks on, on Dan Christian memes who have found themselves in between places for, in all sorts of ways and in all, all sorts of circumstances. Um, and that's, you know, I think it's important to, to acknowledge that as a valid part of faith, uh, that, that, you know, that's, that's the journey and, and wherever you're at. However, I need to be faithful to the comments because I haven't been faithful to the comments <laughs> and I will be chastised. Um, a lot of these are not questions, and some of these are questions about um, why are there two Brocklins? Um, because I log in from my computer because my cell phone can't be trusted entirely. Um, so, yeah. Um, you are chill people. I'm glad I found you. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, anytime I feel better than someone else, I tell myself that I am not better because I believe in God. I am not better than anyone else, not even a murderer. That that seems a little a little... I maybe not in God's eyes, but in my eyes, I'm glad you're not a murderer. It makes a significant difference to me. You should still uh, not murder. I don't murder, watch but... you to, to not feel motivated to continue not murdering. So, so keep it up. I love that. You're doing great. All right. Uh, could you provide a brutally honest rating on my post? Thank you. Well, uh, this post is very kind and, and sweet, polite, and grammatically correct. So I, I give it five stars. I'll give it an upvote too. I don't, I don't see any reason. Unless you're talking about a different post. Um, sorry, in that case. Uh, <laughs> uh, someone said, I don't believe I know he's real. I imagine they're talking about Jesus. Someone said, what's up? Hello. Um, someone has a big question about, are the, <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read the, the big question at the end. Are the commandments revelation or man-made? Uh, I, I think they're talking about the Ten Commandments. Um I would say probably both, and I imagine that's not a satisfying answer for you. Oh no! Um, so, <laughs> uh, well, so we can uh, do. You, do you guys want to rein in on this one quickly so we can keep keep on our theme? I, yes. Um, someone who studied like uh, I, I I wouldn't call myself a scholar, but I read a lot and I read a lot of like multiple perspective on Christianity. Uh, something really cool is that both things can be true at the same time. Yes. And, 
this happens a lot, even in the sciences. There's a, this idea. That's called, what I've been saying. Oh, I love when yeah. you guys preach my sermons. This is wonderful. <laughs> like e- even in the sciences, like there's this book called Evolution. Uh, no, I think called Freedom Evolves, where it talks about compatibility. Where yes, there could be an immortal soul also living in a world where there isn't, right? Like it, two things can 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 live at the same time and both be true. You know, because it, the reality is that we don't have when it comes to things that we can't measure, we can't look at it and point at it. Look, it's you know, it's is there. We have to come to almost like a consensus, like they both have to coexist some way, you know. Um, and it's through reading more and meditating more and getting more understanding is that you know we'll we'll get further to that direction. But yeah, I agree. The the answer is that they're both true. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite right. quotes is that the the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. <laughs> um, it's that last part that's the trick. <laughs> um, one should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless, yet be determined to make them otherwise. From F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, lovely. Thank you. All right. So I think I think we answered that comment pretty well, and we've got only one left. Can we put on Jesus's, the Jesus is King album by Kanye West? First of all, legally, no. Copyright. <laughs> but if you uh, experience the divine or, or a spiritual, um, uh, if you have a positive spiritual experience listening to Jesus is King by Kanye West, that's great. That's valid. I imagine that's what Kanye had in mind. So, yeah, uh, enjoy that. But no, legally, we cannot play it here. Um, you know, I just I, want to say. Go ahead, boy, boy. No, I just want to say that Kanye's expression of faith is valid. As goofy as he is as a person, I genuinely think that what he's doing is a genuine expression of faith, and I find that amazing. You know who else's expression of faith is legitimate and amazing? Who? Lil Nas X. <laughs> Boom! Yes. Yes. I said it. I went yes. there. Boom! <laughs> you did it. I'm proud of you, fam. <laughs> I know, so edgy. No one saw it coming. Incredible. <laughs> um, so uh, we are in our, our casual discussion Q&A portion. Um, now that we're actually uh, open to people coming up, no one is raising their hand. So if you do want to come up, ask a question or share an experience, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about myself a little bit. Is it okay if I talk about my faith journey a little bit? Yes. Ooh. Okay. Yes. Void <laughs> <laughs> boy knows me too well. That we've we've crossed we've crossed the line, and now we can't go back. Void boy's got me figured out, and feels comfortable doing me. Um, and that's what I need. That's good. That'll keep me humble. Uh, but I, um, so I, I'm actually going to start by talking about my family, which is pretty rare. Um, but my mother was a Roman Catholic, an, an Irish Catholic, in fact. And my father was a, a Lutheran. Um, and nowadays we might not think a lot of, of that, but then it was kind of a big deal. And they couldn't find a church to, to get married. So uh, they ended up going to the United Church of Christ, which is the church, you know, the, the denomination that I was raised in. Uh, it's congregational, which means we vote. We vote on our pastors. We vote on our rules. We vote on our bylaws. We vote on our budgets. Uh, which means that we have high potential for church politics, in fact, almost a guarantee for it. Um, so, you know, democracy is actually like a core value of congregational churches. 
um, many of them at least, because they could vote not to be congregational anymore. That's part of how it works. Um, they can also vote to affiliate. So uh, the church I was a student minister in um, was a, um, a federated church, part UCC, so that's the tradition I came from, and part United Methodist. Um, so I come from a position, you know, that really believes in, you know, blending faiths and getting to know people and finding out what you have in common uh, and, and seeing if it's, you know, more than you have uh, that isn't in common. So that's always been really core to my faith. And I think part of the reason is like, I grew up in a, a very challenging environment. I, I lived in an abusive and neglectful home and that that's just very difficult. Um, but I always found the church to be a place that was empowering and encouraging, a place that was generally safe. Uh, and that was really good and really to my benefit. I got to learn how to, you know, read in public, do speaking. Uh, I gave my my first sermon when I was a teenager. Uh, so I had a lot of great opportunities. But while I was having these great opportunities, the people my age, my friends, were leaving the church in, in droves. Uh, so I'm going to pause in my story a little bit here. Did you guys have any experience? I think, Olive, you talked about a church in your story that, like, legit closed down because it didn't have enough people. Uh, Void Boy, is the proselytization, mm. proselytization with Jehovah's Witnesses trying to make up for a loss, or is it just a, a core component of the faith, regardless of what attendance and membership numbers are? Yes. Uh, it is the main component of the faith. I would say it's the only point. If you're a Jehovah but Witness. do they lose members? Like, is it oh, pretty uncommon for someone like you to head out, or is is Not that happening? Common. So that's a problem they're dealing with as well. Yeah, it's like I I would say it's it's fair, um, and I think that's fair what to say with uh, many other uh, denominations. You're having the same issue. Um, Jehovah Witness they do a lot of tracking with the numbers, like how many members they have worldwide, um, and they break it down almost to local level. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but here's a really uh, interesting thing. The Every year they do this book where they um, break down the numbers of membership globally uh, and they tell and they break it down from like uh, country to country, region to region. And it's just to kind of tally up what, you know, and basically telling what the good work's been going on, you know, oh, we've gone so and so many members in this part of the world. Cool. They stopped doing that. Oh no! So they used to have an annual report, mm -hmm. and now they don't. Re they don't publish it because it it doesn't it look good no more. Exactly, it, it would reveal that Ooh, there is a drop. That's not a good look. Oh that's no, not a good look. No, 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 no. Um, and it was hovering around glo globally is like around eight point two million. I don't know what the number is anymore because they're not. You know, right nowadays they're showing a lot of the eight million, which is also kind of telling. Uh, they were very proud of the point two for a while. And yeah, it is, it is an issue. And of course, everybody it, likes number go up. I, I yeah. think a big part of the internet and social media is because human brain like number go up. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like Jehovah's Witnesses like really probably tapped into that a little earlier than some of the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, and, it, and, I, and that is also reflective of a lot of the, I guess, they would call it spiritual food, right? Mm. Uh, mm. A lot of the 
proselytization or like what they what they teach their the membership is more of a you know go out there and convert convert like, that that you go to that state college and you make believers of all of those students because exactly. that's what god calls them to do you know what that is that is a very radical which i want I, i'm I, sorry I, because I think, even in Joe Witness, they don't tell us to do that they tell us do but not it's go super to logical right why wouldn't you go to the largest <laughs> concentration and 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 shoot your shot and like statistically speaking, you should have some marginal level of success. I think one of the big problems that a lot of Christians and and others probably don't realize is that um, these movies that Christians buy about the atheist finding Christianity, that's exceptionally rare, especially for people who were raised as atheists. Statistically, that doesn't happen. But if people are looking for the fertile ground, well, we talked about people who move through atheism as as a part on their larger faith journey obviously that right, that's right. different um but uh oh no no i lost my spot we got you fam also this is uh i think i can say that uh it's open so if you have if y'all want to join and say words raise that if you're button. looking to, if you're looking to win people to your faith the statistical category of people is not those who uh, say they have no faith or are atheist or agnostic, but is those who answer that they are, quote, nothing in particular, that that these are people who have a much more fluid view of faith and belief and possibly even ideas in general, that these are the people that that um, are you're likely to have success with. The problem is nothing in particular is as a statistical category in the United States tend to be a bit off the grid, but a bit aloof, a bit hard to get in touch with. Um, so, you know, it's not as though it's super easy, but, you know, converting atheists who were born and raised atheists in mass um, is not realistic, but I'm told it is the subject of a bunch of Christian movies. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to mention about my faith journey, which, you know, I noticed when I was a teenager that while the church was building me up and, and you know, really helping me develop myself in a lot of ways, that a lot of people were not having that positive experience, especially people my age. And I belong, the UCC is, you know, considered a, a mainline denomination, which, you know, congregationalism is usually considered mainline. Um, but like all the others, they are declining. And I think people my age were the first ones when I was a teenager. And I paid a lot of attention to that. And I noticed that. And that troubled me. And, you know, I didn't necessarily want to go and, and win them back because I, I, I imagine they all had very valid reasons for leaving. But I wanted to know more about that process and why it was happening. So it led me to really be interested in, in people who are typically called unchurched for either, you know, they never were a church person or they're not attending a church in any meaningful way. Um, and at times on Dang Christian Memes, it's hard to know what we have more of. Do we have more people who are church, you know, Christians who might say, I go to X church on Sunday or tune into this church on, on you know, uh, online service? Uh, or, you know, are they... Uh, I keep losing it, guys. I, I, I'm struggling here. <laughs> we got you, no worries. I, I think that you know, for me, something that was so important is watching these people start to leave Christianity and saying that's important. 
And I think for a long time, people didn't see that as important. So for me, ministering in digital spaces where there's a large number of folks who maybe aren't Christian uh, is really important to me. Um, and I think that a lot of churches have almost a hostile view of those who have left over the decades rather than, you know, maybe a merciful view, maybe a compassionate view. Um, so I like that Dan Christian memes. Is, or even is a, a meme, curious right? view of like, why? <laughs> right. But yeah. I, I like it. I like that there's a meeting place where, you know, those groups can share. And like I said, it's hard to tell day-to-day, post-to-post on Dan Christian memes, do we have more churched people or unchurched people? And and how much fluidity is there um, among folks in our community? Hmm. Yeah, because I think there's uh, not a lot of communication happening um, from, let's say, from church to church, denomination to denomination. There seems no, to we don't a... see a lot of dialogue. It's When we do see dialogue, it's, it's like a, a, a bit of a unicorn. Right. And it's super rare. And I think there, there has to be, I think there used to be a tradition of having multiple faiths come together um, and just actually discussing. I think the last instance we have is probably the Council of Nicaea. And that is like, like medieval times. I was going right? to say, it's not recently, not, not recent. Recent. Yeah. It's a relative. <laughs> so, that's a, so that's like, that's like to, to, to give an idea of how like Jesus Christ is hardly ever happens amongst, you know, uh, amongst well, Christians, you know. So I want to go back to the state college, uh, and Olive, I'd love to hear a response to this. I, you know, I, I think that there's something very honest about thinking that this was a great place to to win people over to Jesus. But I think that there were also like a number of other Christians in the community who recognized that they could be part of the larger community. They could see and be seen and, you know, welcome people in accordingly. But they also had more to gain by playing nice with with others, with other, you know, faith groups, whether they be Christian or or otherwise. So, I, you know, I, I hope that there are Christians who, you know, used to prioritize, you know, proselytization or, or outreach or however you describe it, who are you know more interested in joining a, a table of equals, so to speak, where, you know, we all have our home base we return to, but here's where we can... Uh, celebrate and make the best of what we have in common. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that with the place that I was coming from at the time, there, there really wasn't any space for that um, because it was really like a, a matter of like, are you, are you like me? If not, how can I make you like me? And for your own good, <laughs> for, for your own good. We're helping you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, yes. I'm helping you, you know, and, and there's really that, um, you know, I, I really had that view that I was, that it was for the other person's best interest. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I, I don't think that I personally would have had the, um, the space to be able mentally and emotionally to, um, I, I wasn't, I mean, if we're talking like when I first got there, um, I wouldn't have had this. Well, I just mean that. in general, I don't want to tie you down to, to a, a past self or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I would love that now, like now that would be something that I would be very interested in just because I'm much more interested now in like people in general, where, like, where did you come from? What do you believe? Why do you believe that? What influenced, like, who were the people in your life that 
led you to believe that? Why does that make sense to you? Like that all of those questions are way more interesting to me now than, you know, had I asked those questions in my before life, it would have been um, really just angling to, to convince them of something that I believe. Uh, yeah. I, I find that to be a much more uh, deep and satisfying investigation, conversation question to ask yourself than does God exist? Yes or no. This is how I will determine if you are stupid or not. Like that, that's, um, you know, there's a lot of people who go, go through that, but I think there's a lot, a lot more of us who are like, well, we've been through that. Um, we don't, we don't need to rehash that stuff. There are deeper, more interesting questions to, to ask and answer. Yeah. Like, I mean, to me, the question of whether or not there is a God is kind of a boring question to me at this point. And like, I'm, I'm not super also, interested in that. Like, I want to know why. As you a moderator, I remove memes that don't talk about Christ or Christianity, but are just based on that argument because they're not Christian. They're, they're just defending mm -hmm. the concept of a deity, which in itself is not a, a religion. <laughs> right, right. Right. And some questions aren't meant to be solved, right? Like, this is not a question that demands an answer. There, there isn't one. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's like in my now life, I have so much more like space and appreciation for those questions, and and the the I think the value of those questions is so much greater than it ever used to be. You know, like the question itself is valid. Of like, why, like, why do you believe that, or why does that make sense to you that way? you know what does that say about you as a person like it it's not about the the pressure of trying to convert somebody anymore well and i think that as yeah. we watch church membership decline and you know people who are you know trying to win people over are, statistically it's not going well <laughs> it doesn't seem like the winning strategy yeah, and I think um, I so when I was in Tallahassee, I visited a Unitarian church that I really loved. Um, uh oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh um, the stereotypes and, for for Unitarians are could be a bit fierce in some parts of the country, for sure, for sure. And I think a lot of them are probably deserving, but um, uh oh. <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, I think from that place, it was a really valuable community for me to be involved with. But the thing that I appreciate the most about Unitarians that I really haven't seen in a lot of other churches is that they are so focused on doing practical things to help other people, like actually putting the money of their church into actually helping other people. And and I know that like other churches do some like soup kitchens and stuff like that. But right. But them um, as an institution are not solely dedicated uh, yeah, to, to those efforts. They are one of their many functionaries. Right. And so I really appreciate that about the Unitarian community in general. I haven't yet found a Unitarian community in Connecticut that I vibed with in the same way. And I don't know if that was just because of like where I was at the time, but also the Unitarian uh, group that I visited here when I moved back was sort of in a transitional time themselves. I think their pastor had just left and they had like some lay people that were kind of taking over sermons in the meantime which was kind of a weird place to visit mm, but that, um, that's tricky yeah so i i've i have might go back and visit sometime soon and see how it you know see how it's how it's gotten where where they've arrived that's at. nice to do to just just put your foot in the door and be like oh how's everyone doing here just checking in <laughs> have you all said just do a check in 
Like, hello. <laughs> this is yeah. a wellness check. Are you guys doing okay in here? Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, they at this point, it would be nice for them to check in because, Jesus, it gets concerning out there. It's hard up there. Yeah. I feel like Unitarians would be like, I need to find a Unitarian person to have on our on our podcast here. Uh, you, you are you are guest two, Olive. Uh, guest three is uh, a friend of mine from seminary who is a a real miniature minister or a analog minister, but but he you know, a traditional minister, you might say. <laughs> analog um, minister. <laughs> analog minister. Someone someone said that in one of our our, <laughs> our other chats, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, it feels insulting though, like oh, you're an analog minister. Okay, let you're me old, let me get you your typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> you're not like me, the shiny ones, the new virtual ones. Um, <laughs> But I would love to have, uh, I, I feel like Unitarians are uh, a really interesting group when it comes to their beliefs and, and like you said, their practice. Um, and uh, yeah, it would be great to, to interview one. If you find one, will you catch them for me like, like a fairy in a jar? Sure. So I can interview yeah. them <laughs> or yeah, ask politely. I mean, I'll give you a business card or something. I guess there's other approaches. Yeah. Of, you know, well, in my experience, I think that the. V- like a large part of the value for me at of like the practice of Unitarianism is, I mean, a, because like it resonated just with my worldview, but all, but there's something very comforting about the ritual of church service of like getting together, having some sort of musical thing, having some sort of sermon, you know, meeting in community and and I think that it's not talked enough about with like how how big a percentage of the value of of church um, participation has to do with being part of a group, like having people that care about what's going on in your life, like people that are, you know, going to potentially be there for you if you're in a difficult time or whatever, whatever. Um, we, I think as humans, one of the, especially in the USA have become so individualized and our lives are so separate from one another that we really need spaces like churches, whether it be a church or or something different, but we need spaces like that where we are able to come together, be quiet, have some reflection, um, and, and generally also being in a community of people that are interested in um, in growth, interested in self-betterment, interested in reflection on what we're doing that we can improve on and and um, and being able to make sense of the world around us in a way that has something to do with morality and uh, you know yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if the the community center model, right so it seems like the the parish church model, is in decline. And we, we have evidence of this on statistical levels and experiential levels. Um, but I wonder if the community center model might might be one of the future where instead of having a church on every corner, you'd have, you know, community centers and still, you know, there will always be parish churches, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but I wonder if that might just be a more practical model for, you know, Christianity in the decades ahead. I mean, it has to change at some point, uh, and and it and it's it's to say that it hasn't changed. It has changed through through history. You look at it, right? And and what was the next incarnation? You know, what's going to look like in the future? That's the 
it's interesting. But I think there's enough people who care and they want to make a change for the better in, in you know, the best way they know how. Right. I think there's a lot of people out there doing construct uh, deconstruction too, whether it's, you know, deconstruction of their particular denomination or deconstruction of Christianity altogether that, you know, people are doing this. I think the, the internet culture of do your own research as people might shout at you in various circumstances, um, you know, really encourages folks to be more aware of what's, what's out there and, and, and maybe shop around. Uh, I like to think that that could have, you know, a, a beneficial impact, but I also know that, um, well, I think in Christianity, when it's fully centralized, gets into some some mucky area. So I'm wondering if a decentralized Christianity uh, might show us something that that folks feel a little more interested in interacting with. But but a lot of denominations are based around hierarchy and and centralization. So that's uh, going to be a hard line for some groups to walk. <laughs> It, it, it's 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 murky right it, it's it, i don't know that that's what i said you know it's like i'm not sure what where what direction is, uh, is going to take um, well one of my professors used to talk about it as like a cell and that there's you know what's in the cell and what's outside the cell and if you don't have something separating what's inside from what's outside you don't necessarily have a community anymore you you may have something different um and I think something like there's a lot of hierarchical structures out there and they get a bad reputation because their faults are noticeable because right. they're, you know, centralized and structured and visible. Um, but I also think that, you know, my denomination, congregationalism and the United Church of Christ, uh, we have consistency issues because we are made up of a patchwork of other uh, traditions and if someone like so, if the the uh, general synod makes a decision, the individual congregation can can say, "Well, we're not doing that," and they're under no obligation to do that. And you mm. know, they can they can either hold a vote saying, "No, we don't agree with that," or they can just not hold a vote and carry on as they were and and simply not care. Um, and you know, a lot of people look at that and they're like, "Is that even a denomination?" Then uh, like, that's a valid question. Uh, so right. you know you, you there is something to be said for you know not having enough structure to be uh, an actual structure and i think that's what churches are struggling with that they used to be center of the community and now maybe they're adjacent that community it, it depends on what that church's relationship is with with folks hmm. um I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I know you were in here earlier, so I want to give you an opportunity to talk and introduce yourself, maybe ask a question, or tell your story. Um, the real Olisk. Yeah. yeah, I love these names. Yeah. Oh, Olisk, can you guys hear me all right? A little far. Yeah, sounds good. a bit good. of background. Yeah. All right, how about now? Nope, you've gone deep into a cave. How can we get you out of the cave? How can we help you? All right, just a second. Let me take out these headphones, see if that helps. Yeah, Reddit talk is not always the most cooperative when you're trying to find your ideal audio video scenario. All right, what about...
speak. Okay, try again. Yeah. Speak to us. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, sounds good. Much better. Yeah, so um, I've been bouncing in and out of this chat room. I've been kind of busy, but um, last time I was in here, you guys were talking about um, faith and things regarding faith. Um, I'm not sure where you guys are at in the conversation right now. But um, earlier, I was going to ask you guys, uh, what you what do you think about psychedelics um, involved in the birth of a lot of religions and that theory? Uh, I'm going to say something, uh, and then I'll give you guys an opportunity to um, reply. Um, I, there are definitely parts of the Bible that have made, you know, earnest readers question whether or not um, the, the writer had some sort of psychotropic experience. Like the entire um, book of Revelations. Um, also Ezekiel 10 that talks about biblically accurate angels, which are, which is the inspiration for my little Reddit icon here that like most people, oh, like nice. I, I was in a, a seminary school full of dedicated church ladies. who were all spending money to be there so we could all study together. And I swear it was the church ladies who raised their hands saying, yo, this is a little crazy was was he on something and interacting with something and our seminary professor did not say that it was an invalid position <laughs> though he, you know, <laughs> i think i think this is a common view that people have when they they read some of these patches into the bible and say what um was involved with that oh man he's gone okay he's in and out he said he's back uh, yeah um i'll probably say this and then and then after i'll probably have to head out um but uh, yes, I can't speak for all of the religions in the world, but yes, there is a practice of... I was hoping you would speak for all the religions in the world, but I'll uh, swallow no my disappointment. Speak for them all. I'm so sorry. Um, but yes, uh, there, there has been instances where like uh, substance have been used. Not sure it would be psychedelics in the term that we use them right now, but yes, there's had been things where they've used it to like either also fasting is a powerful drug fasting alone especially like people again be careful fasting you can mess yourself up right um and and it could also be said the same thing um when another example like when jesus we talked about this right when when jesus was in the desert for like you know 40 days and 40 nights yeah look at you remembering previous recordings yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's it's relevant, right? Because there is this moment of just extreme conditions, and the mind doesn't, you know, work a hundred percent, you know, and you know you start seeing things or you start going through this meditative state. You're like more aware of, of you know of things that are not physical, right? And it's interesting. I, f- I feel like a lot of there is some stuff like that is involved. I guess. I wouldn't well, let's say also point out like, wine mm-hmm. is central to many, if not most, Christians' understanding. So, you know, um, I'm not saying that wine is psychotropic, but, you know, give it its credit. It's definitely a part of the mix. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> have you guys heard of the book called The Immortal Key? I have not. Sounds interesting, though. Yeah, it's, um, he was a get, it's, I forget the author's name, but he was the, he came on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, him and a guy named Graham Hancock. Are you familiar with him? I, I can't say that I am. Um, well, they talk about his book that recently came out. I think 
maybe last year or the year before called the immortal key and a lot of studies and evidence of how um, these psychedelic compounds were involved in everything from Christianity to ancient Greece to this I've heard before that, that, you know, each religion might've been born of a, um, some sort of psychotropic experience that connected them um, with the the divine. Um, Yeah. Yeah, That definitely sounds like an interesting idea. I feel like that's, that's basically what we've been in, you know, considering is whether or not it's, it's a practice in, in the religion, but there are also, um, I think there are religions that incorporate psych. I don't know to what extent, I don't know how central it is. I feel like that's, I feel like that's the big question, whether or not it was the inspiration for how central or valid is that practice to the faith group uh, today. There are definitely groups in the United States now that are legally able to uh, use ayahuasca as part of their ceremonies uh, because it is part of their religious practice. There's been some legislation to that, hasn't there, Mm -hmm. Uh, about Mm -hmm. um, other well, things as well that like for, yeah. for therapeutical purposes that it's, it's being, yep, um, yep. so a few years back, um, psilocybin was, was fast tracked as a breakthrough therapy for, um, PTSD and, um, certain types of treatment, resistant depression and anxiety, especially in relation to cancer treatment. Um, I am super interested in this area of study, especially as a music therapist, because, um, so much of what drives me as a musician and a music therapist is the experience of transcendence and is also a big driver of my um, my participation in religious experience and spiritual experience. Um, and I feel like that that space of of transcendence is so powerfully healing for people, whether you access that through music or um, through church or through psychedelics. I, I think there's something so valuable in that. And just on a personal level, like my experiences with psychedelics have been um, absolutely transformative in terms of um, my understanding of Would you the say world. overwhelmingly positive? Yeah. I mean, I think most of the time, like during any particular psychedelic trip, like your mind slash spirit is going to bring up things that need to be worked through. So most of, um, you know, and I've had like a handful of experiences that um, each time it seems like the overall experience is overwhelmingly positive. Almost always there's a section of it to get through that is uncomfortable. That's bringing up things that are asking for healing in various ways or you know, whatever it is, but oh, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't, I mean, I was on board to start with, but the fact that it's going to be difficult in any ways, it's yeah, kind of thrown yeah. me off the trail now, guys, I'm starting to think that these psychotropic drugs are, are really I mean, serious. Maybe it's not for everybody. I will say that it's not for everybody. I would go out of limb and say it's not, <laughs> but I, I can, I can definitely respect those for whom it, it is uh, a part of their experience. Yeah. And, and for me, like going back to the sensory piece too, um, I feel like there were things that I was learning on an intellectual level that I knew to be true, that it wasn't until my psychedelic experiences that I felt those things to be true on a sensory and, and bodily level. And so I think that it helps to integrate the mind and the body in a lot of ways. And um, a, a lot of these 
I mean, psilocybin, I think in particular is, is really a lot of what it's doing is just opening up your, your filters in your brain and the categories that you're putting things into just automatically, like your brain, like our brains are doing this for us right now. Like we're not paying attention to the, the sensation of our shirts on our back because it's not important experience. Well, now I am. <laughs> but like in, in a psychedelic experience, there's this equalization of sensory input that is able to open some really interesting doors because you're able to make connections that your brain would like just bypass before. Hey guys. I have a good story about this, actually. I don't know what I just got into. I, I've never seen that Reddit had this feature that you could talk to people before. But um, Congratulations, you've stepped welcome. into a bizarre world. <laughs> it's a bigger world, indeed. Welcome. <laughs> um, so I had a friend whose name was uh, Mac. Um, don't dox your friend. First names only. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so, um, um, but his, name, his real name is Matthew. And so I, I, I asked him one day, like if his, he's ever read the gospel, Matthew, and, uh, he's never, you know, been, he's never read the Bible before. So it was very interesting for me to like introduce it to him. And, um, and I was like, well, why don't you just, you know, Matthew is, you know, the beginning gospel. So just, you know, see how it goes. And he starts to read it and I'm there with him. And, um, are you, you just know, watching him read the Bible? That sounds a little intense. <laughs> I'm not exactly. You breathe it down his neck while he's like, oh, okay. Um, well, I was like, well, here's, here you go. Here's the book. And I just like exited the room, you know, like, go, you know, let me know when, if you have questions or when you're done or anything like that, you know. You peeked I, around the corner. You were definitely peeking around to see what he was up to. <laughs> uh well it, well it wasn't long before he was like i'm done <laughs> you know like he he reached his point you know with it but what was interesting what his com main comment was to being kind of like uh reading scripture was um it was like shrooms he was like this is like a shroom trip and it's just even the beginning of matthew nothing like you know, revelations or his what translation did you give him? Like, was he reading the King James version? Because that, that might be part of it. Uh, no, it was the, uh, like, it's like that little Protestant book that you give to people that are like, um, you know, like new Christians. So it doesn't even have the rest of the Bible on it. It just has, um, the new Testament. Oh, is it, it like just, that little green one? Yeah. It's a little green one with oh an arrow God. that points up. I had that one. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, but I, ha Jesus. I just had it like flo floating around my car. And mm -hmm. so, um, but anyways, a comment that I left in the, in the chat and I kind of wanted to, you know, explain more is I think, you know, psychotropic drugs, and I've done it before. I've done shrooms before. Um, I, fe I felt that ultimately it gave, it gave you a context for what real spirituality uh, feels like just like how you could be you know in nature and have an intense experience like on a hike or anything like that um it was very it's it's very similar to um what the beginnings of real spiritual now now my belief is that real spirituality is far more profound and um and, and encompassing and not as uh expedient as drugs are i mean some would you know say that doing acid or doing shrooms would, you know, fall under the sin of sorcery.
but I'm not really going to go that far today, but, <laughs> you know, or ever. But, I think um, that our computers under that definition would count as sorcery as well. So I don't know that we want to start a slippery sorcery slope. Ooh. Yeah. This, this Reddit product is brought to you by right the, slippery, the slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before, before we continue, I just want to um, head out. Um, and this, this is a really uh, incredible conversation. And, you know, thank you, you guys so much for having me. Thank you, Void Boy. Thanks for being here, Void Boy. I think we're going to be wrapping it up pretty soon anyway. Okay. Bye. 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 Thanks again. Yeah, so anybody that's um, interested in hearing the initial conversation on Joe Rogan's podcast that I was talking about, I commented the link in in this chat. This is my first time using this, so I'm not sure if um, anybody's able to see it or not. Yeah, it shows up as a comment thread. I wish it was more like a like a Twitch feed. If you've seen those, um, the rumor is they're gonna they're gonna change it. But yeah, we we've been telling folks drop drop your links in the comments so people can see what you're talking about. Yeah, cool. This is a, a new feature that I found as well too today. So uh, I'll be dropping in more often. It's pretty cool. Yep, we usually do our our Reddit talk slash podcast. Uh, we do it on on Wednesdays at four p.m. and uh, four p.m. Eastern time, and uh, Sundays at three p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, so feel free to stop in. Um, our Wednesday is is more structured, like a traditional podcast, and our um, our Sunday is a casual conversation. We usually call it Casual Sunday. Um, so we're going to be signing off in a minute with our our outro music. Um, Olive, did you want to say uh, anything else? Give give a last word as our our guest before we sign out. Sure, I just appreciate everybody being interested in in all of this stuff. I think this is such a, a great community. So, um, I appreciate your existence in general, as well as your willingness to listen to me ramble about my experiences. Um, and uh, I'll also mention that. W- you can follow Olive Tiger on the places on the internet. We have Instagram and Facebook and um, we're not super active on Twitter, but it does exist. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we have a new record coming out to in October. So um, if you're interested, stay tuned. We are um, actually, I just launched a Patreon before signing into this. So I'm going to announce that in the next day or two. Well, I'll drop um, that Patreon in, in our, our comment space. So, so right. it is there for people to discover. Cool, cool. Um, so yeah, there's uh, lots of ways to to get involved, and um, yeah, I'm based in Connecticut, and what we're gonna do, I think, a little like regional tour in October. So if you're anywhere in the northeast of the USA, you uh, might be able to catch us playing the cello and the violin and all kinds of nice. instrumental stuff. And yep, um, but yeah, thank you so much. Well, and thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing uh, so much of your your really unique uh, experiences. We appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. All right, so we are about to sign off here and put on our outro music, but that has this has been the Dank Christian Memes podcast. Dank Christian Memes is a place for all kinds of Christians and all sorts of non-Christians. We run these Reddit talk podcasts Wednesdays uh, and Sundays. Uh, we don't know what we're doing, but but we did this. Uh, so if uh, you'd like to join us, check us out. Uh, and thank you very much for being here. Here comes our outro music by Olive Tiger. Thank you. I've been following you guys for years. <laughs> well, thanks for following us for years.
Thank <laughs> you. 